morning. I assume I'm supposed to do that. Tim does it every week. Is that right? Can you all hear me? What's that? Because you forget. That's all right. That's all right. Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. When I agreed to do this a couple weeks ago, there were a lot less people here. It's a little intimidating, but it's, that's a good thing. It's a good problem to have. I hope you're here this morning because you want to be part of the Lord's army. You want to be a soldier in the Lord's army. Anybody feel like they're reporting for active duty this morning? I think we've had a little bit of practice in uh, standing at attention. It's a blessing to be here this morning. I'm glad that you're here with us. We're going to talk this morning about being part of the Lord's army because it's an important thing. It's an important role. It's important about who we're called to be. And in the vein of uh, following in the example of Tim, I'm going to start off with a cheesy preacher story. I'm not officially a preacher, so I can use that term, cheesy preacher story. It reminds me of the story of the preacher on Easter Sunday who finished his sermon and was standing at the back by the doors greeting people as they left and leave after worship service. And he's shaking hands, and he comes across somebody that he didn't see too often at church, and so he takes the opportunity to grab him by the hand and pull him a little bit closer squeeze his hand a little harder and say, brother, I'm glad you're here this morning because I feel compelled to challenge you. You know, you need to consider becoming part of a soldier in the Lord's army. The man kind of stood back a little bit. He said, well, preacher, I'm already a member of the Lord's army. The preacher pulls him a little bit closer and says, well, and how come it is we only see you on Easter's and Sundays? The man thought about it for a minute and he leaned in real close and he whispered in his ear, preacher, because I'm in the secret service. (laughs) The secret service in the Lord's army. I'm not sure if there is one. If there is one, I I don't know about it. But some of us have probably been guilty of falling into that mindset before. We take our duties in the Lord's army as soldiers for God, and we keep it a secret. Maybe we can relate to that. You know, when I was a kid back in the day long time ago, it seems like. Maybe it doesn't seem like so long to some of you that you remember me being a little kid, but when I was a kid, there was, used to be TV commercials all the time about the Army. And they had a slogan, be all that you can be. Be all that you can be, right? And the idea was that by joining the Army, you could become part of a bigger team, that you could accomplish something that was bigger, greater than you could do on your own. Something that you couldn't do, you could become part of this team, and you could be able to do something beyond what you would be able to do by yourself. It's this great idea of teamwork. Somewhere around 2000 or 2001, somebody in their infinite government wisdom, military wisdom, changed that theme to an army of one. And after they thought about it for a little while, I think they realized that that was counterproductive to the whole idea of teamwork. So then they changed it to army strong which is probably a step back in the right direction. If I were to make a commercial this morning about what I want to relay to you in God's word today, if I were to boil everything down to one quick commercial, it would be this. If we're going to be soldiers in the Lord's army, and make no mistake, it is the greatest and strongest army, we better be prepared to be all that we can be. Because the Lord's army, the Lord's church, is not an army of one. It's an army for one. 
years ago, I worked with a guy who was a, a West Point graduate. He had a, a pretty fairly distinguished career in the military. Uh, he had since retired and had gotten out of that, but he still worked very closely with a lot of veterans groups and a lot of military groups. Uh, he's a really fascinating guy, and, and there are people here this morning that, uh, that have served and have, have spent their civic duty protecting us, and we thank you for that service this morning. But as I sat with my friend, he, uh, he was telling me, he said, Mike, you wouldn't believe the statistics of how many people who enlist in times of peace, when everything's happy-go-lucky, how many of them will try to wriggle their way out of service any time that there starts to be a little geopolitical tension? He says, you wouldn't believe how often and, and the numbers that they see of these young men and women who start to find excuses when things start to get a little tense. I mean, they signed up for the army, right? And, and what he was most perplexed by about this was that the excuses that they would give weren't that they had a lack of confidence in their commanders, wasn't that they had a health issue or, or issues with their families. What it really boiled down to was they didn't want to go to war. They just flat out didn't want to go to war. He told me about one conversation he had with one young man who explained to him in no uncertain terms that when he had joined up to the army, when he'd gone to that recruiting office, he joined for the benefits. He's going to get three square meals a day, steady paycheck. He's going to get his college tuition and his insurance taken care of. He's going to get the opportunity to get in shape, maybe even see part of the world. But when it came to the prospect that he might get shot at, his words were, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Think about that. I didn't sign up for that. Now, there's something wrong with that kind of thinking. One of the primary functions of a military is to be prepared and to prepare to go to war. That's their purpose. That's why they're there. I mean, you know if you go to a recruiting office and you sign up, that's part of it, right? It has to be. I'm sure it's somewhere in the job description. They do still call it the armed forces, right? How do you sign up and make that commitment without knowing what you're signing up for? We laugh at that because we realize that this young man, we realize something this young man apparently didn't. And that is that armies do not exist to pass out benefits. It's not their purpose. You don't create an army for the sole purpose of passing out benefits. Armies exist to deal with conflicts. Their purpose is to defend their people. Their purpose is to fight the enemy, and we certainly would hope that they're there to contend against evil. But there are people who actually join up today, I'm sure. They're still just hoping for a free ride. That's a kind of mentality that will undermine the military of any nation. And this morning, I'm standing here to say that that same kind of mentality can also under, undermine the Lord's army. And it does, if we're not careful. Too often, believers sign up for the benefits. They expect Jesus to be there for them, but, you know, they never really can visualize a scenario where they're actually going to be expected to have to be there for him. And it's a problem. It's obviously a problem. It's a pretty important issue, and it seems like something that probably ought to be addressed in the Bible, right? You know, it's a problem that plagues the church today, but we can all take a little bit of uh, solace in knowing that it's not a problem that is completely unique to us. 
problems existed for a long time. In fact, this problem predates the foundation of the actual church that we're in today, right? Jesus himself addresses this very problem in Matthew 16. Uh, This is where we find our main text for this morning. So we'll be coming back here. If you've got your Bibles, you might as well go ahead and turn there. In Matthew 16, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that they're part of his army. He's calling them to war, and he's telling them that there's time for a decision to be made. In verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What is Jesus telling his disciples here? He's saying the choice to follow the Lord is not one you make just so you can get the benefits. There's a call to action here. There is an expectation. There is more that is required from you. It's about picking up your cross. It's about jumping down in the trenches. It's about being willing to take a stand and give him your everything. Hold nothing back. We are called to sacrifice our lives so that God, the creator of all things, can wage war through us. Think about the impact of that for a minute. Make no mistake, as soldiers in the Lord's army, we're being called to action. The expectation is there. It is what we've signed up for. When Jesus spoke this passage to his disciples, he'd been with them for over two years at this point. Think about it. He's been putting them through a spiritual boot camp, if you will. He's been training them, teaching them, giving them glimpses of God's power. And think for a moment about some of these things that these 12 disciples, that these people who have been following Jesus have seen what they've experienced with their own eyes. They have seen Jesus heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, give speech to the mute, give hearing back to the deaf. They have seen him, even at this point, raise a dead girl from the, uh, back to life. They've tasted the water he turned into wine. They've seen so many powerful miracles. They were at sea when Jesus just came strolling by, walking on water. They were at that same, on that same sea another time when the storm was so bad that Jesus stood up and calmed it just by saying, peace, be still. These guys had seen the power of God firsthand. They were there when a crowd of 5,000 people were fed with nothing more than five loaves and two small fish. At this point, on the surface, it would seem like those disciples, they were ready for battle. How couldn't they be, Right? In fact, just a short while before we look at, uh, before he spoke the words in our verse from this morning, we find in Matthew 14 that Jesus had sent his disciples out to the surrounding villages to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. He's already battle testing them. He's taught them. He's armed them. He's sent them out. He's tested them in spiritual warfare. And because he's doing these things to prepare them because he knows something that they don't yet understand. He knows that his time's getting short. That things are about to get very, very real. Apostle boot camp is about to come to an end. The battle is about to come right to their door. He's got to, he's got to know that they are 
completely on, on page and understanding how serious the mission is that he's preparing them for. Jesus knows that his arrest, his crucifixion, they're only weeks away. Jesus has to make it clear to them that it's going to be on them to take on this war. So the first thing he does here is he lays a foundation of the allegiance to him. In the early part of Matthew 16, he's going to call them together and he's going to ask them. We all know this scripture. He asks them, who do men say that I am? And they have a couple different answers for him. They say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or the prophets. But Jesus asks them, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, never at a loss for words, step right up and says, uh, the verse that we all know, he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for that. But then Jesus explains that he's got one more battle to fight. That he's got one more very, very important battle in the war that's going to take place here. And that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem, he's going to have to suffer and ultimately die, and he's going to be raised on the third day. And Peter, again, never at a loss for words, stands up and says, wait, hold on. Not every day that I get to do this, Jesus, but you're wrong. Hold the phone. That's not going to happen. You're not going to die. In Matthew 16, 22, Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him and says, Never, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Peter, in so many words, is saying, Jesus, you can't die. That's not what we signed up for. We didn't sign up for taking this on without you here to lead the way. That's not going to happen. As long as I've got air in my lungs, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And as quickly as Jesus was to pat Peter on the back for recognizing who he was, he's just as quick to rebuke him here for not recognizing what it means to be a soldier in the Lord's army, what the cost is. Jesus is saying, boys, I've called you to war. And in the face of war, you're going to face suffering. And you're going to ultimately face death. It's an eye-opening moment. And I'm not sure that they got it at the time. But we have to get it this morning. As soldiers in the Lord's army, we are called to go to war. I think back to my friend who was talking about that younger soldier and, uh, and how he was reluctant to follow through on his commitment because he didn't want to imagine the scenario where he would actually be faced with suffering. Whether it was his own or seeing somebody else's, he didn't want to put his life on the line. But here Jesus is telling his disciples, and make no mistake, he's telling us too, very directly, that is exactly what you signed up for. That is exactly and precisely what you signed up for when you joined the Lord's army. Jesus tells us, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In fact, Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Years later, Paul would write to Timothy and say, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When's the last time you felt persecuted? 
Is there a danger that you might be serving in the Secret Service? We are told that if we want to live a godly life for Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. We think about that. Peter said to the church of his day, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, the Apostle Paul comes to mind. Paul knew a little something about suffering. Uh, you know, Paul was one of the greatest soldiers in the Lord's army has ever seen. Uh, once he described the things that he had endured in 2 Corinthians, and it reads like a passage from the worst Dr. Seuss book ever. Seriously, it doesn't even rhyme. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I've been in constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger of false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Kind of sounds like a soldier on the front lines of battle, doesn't it? We know that not too terribly long after he pens those very words, Paul also was executed for his faith. He was called to lay down his life as a soldier in the Lord's army. As all the apostles were, save for John, who still died in exile. I think it's safe to say, and maybe we can all take a, a breath of relaxation here, nobody in this auditorium this morning, as a soldier in the Lord's army, has probably ever been asked to endure the things that Paul did. I know I haven't, and to be honest, if I'm real honest with myself, I'm not sure if I could. He endured a lot. And so I ask you this morning, what is it that would make Paul be willing to do that? Why would he do all of those things? Why did Paul put up with the suffering, the danger, and the ultimate death? I believe Paul did it because he absolutely 100% knew what he was signing up for. Not only did he know what he was signing up for, but he was convinced, as we should be convinced, that Jesus was worth it. Jesus is worth it. He was convinced that Jesus was the Son of Christ, or, or Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, who had come to die for our sins and raise us from the dead. He was convinced that there was a war to be fought and there are souls to be won. He was convinced that the fate of the men and women around him depended on his faithfulness to being a soldier in the Lord's army. He didn't want to suffer, but... Paul understood what we have to understand this morning, that as a soldier in the Lord's army, it is imperative that we learn how to deny ourselves. We have to. We have to learn how to deny ourselves. Near the end of his life, as Paul is on trial, he goes before King Agrippa, and Paul declares that Jesus told him, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul endures all the things that he endured because he was convinced that Christ was worth it. How's your conviction this morning that Christ is worth it? Paul was so convinced that he denied himself any kind of pleasure or any kind of relaxation he could have had. He denies himself to take up his cross and to follow Jesus, to face the dangers and the difficulties that the world would throw at him and to call it glory. Now, most of us will never know those problems. We're fortunate. Today, we live in a country and in a time where it's not very likely that we'll be whipped or stoned or beaten with rods because of what we believe. Granted, we do live in a dangerous time. And there are places in this earth, on this globe right now, where our Christian brothers and sisters are enduring the fear of those things. And not just the threats, but the actuality of it. We may not have to deal with those threats, not in, not in a very serious way right now, but more than likely, we are faced with a challenge. And it's an important challenge because we have to realize that as soldiers in the Lord's army, our duty as Christians, it's not just a Sunday morning obligation. I'm glad you're here this morning. I am glad that we are together and we are spending this time to worship our God. But if we leave here today and we don't take this with us, we're not doing our job. I worshiped for several years at the Timberlane Church of Christ in, in Tallahassee. And they had a big welcome sign when you drove into the parking lot. But as you drove back on the back of the welcome sign, it said, you are now entering the mission field. We got to take that to heart. It's not just a Sunday morning obligation. Our faith requires us to be on call for Jesus 24 hours a day and seven days a week. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's what you signed up for. It's what God requires. There is no secret service. And you know, sure, it would be nice, it'd be really nice to be able to sit back and reap the benefit of all those eternal perks, to be able to to, to get the reward of everything that comes with being a Christian without actually having to be in the line of fire. But that isn't what we signed up for. It just isn't. There's an old Reader's Digest story of a, a woman back during the Gulf War uh, who had the rare opportunity to make a phone call overseas to her, to her son who was serving. And, uh, and she was just so excited to hear his voice on the phone, to know that he was okay in that moment. And she didn't really know what to say, and so she began to do what moms do and just started talking, uh, babbling, asking questions that children always kind of roll their eyes at. Sorry, Mom. Uh, but in the course of her questioning, you know, like she, she began like, what do you do in your spare time and when you have days off? And the soldier kind of paused for a second and said, Mom, you, you do realize that we work every day. She says, well, you don't get days off? And he says, no, no, we have to work. Just over here, we don't call it work. We call it war. As soldiers of Christ, we may be at work on ourselves, but we are at war with Satan every day. Every moment of every day. And in order to win, we have to lay down our lives 
for God. In the old HBO series, uh, Band of Brothers, maybe you watched it, it, it chronicles and follows this troop through World War II, and there's this character in there, this recurring character based on a true person that, uh, that always seems to be doing things that people would look at and say, that's crazy. Whether it was crossing the enemy lines to, to hand off some kind of message or taking on a whole troop of, of German soldiers by himself. And near the end of the series, one of the younger soldiers asks this man, how is it that you come up with the courage to do that? And in essence, he says to him, he says, courage has nothing to do with it. Your problem is you still have hope. Your problem is you think that you're going to get out of this alive. When you embrace the fact that you're already dead, you can do anything. You want to save your life? Give it to God. Give it to God. If you're in the army, I've got news for you. If you're a member of the Lord's army, you already have. You've said it. Maybe it's time to step out of the secret service and embrace it. Maybe it's time for you to realize that you can do anything if you'll just be willing to accept the fact that you've already died to Christ. You've already given your life up. So now we're soldiers. We've been called to action. We're going to war. We're denying ourselves, and we're asked to lay down our lives. So the question becomes, all right, how do we wage war? Because sometimes it's truly difficult to figure out how to wage war spiritually. For as many people as we could ask, there's probably different opinions on what's acceptable when it comes to fighting a war for God. You and I both know that there are Christians who believe that God calls us to fight this war like the world fights it. We fight fire with fire, right? Why not? It's effective. It certainly makes us feel better. The world fights by getting angry. The world fights by getting even. The world fights by doing whatever is necessary to win. Because, of course, after all, the end justifies the means, right? You ever get angry? You ever want to get even? You ever feel like you're willing to do just about anything to make yourself feel better about the situation that you're in? That's not us, though, is it, really? That's not the way that we wage war in the Lord's army, is it? Because let's get down to the truth. You and I both know, we've both seen Christians who use mean and hateful words to get their way. We may have been guilty of it a time or two. We've both seen, perhaps we've both been Christians who have spread rumors or gossip in order to, to discredit the people that disagree with us. Maybe you've seen or maybe you've been a Christian who goes to war with your brothers or your sisters or your preacher or your elders or your church because you know what? They said something that just was wrong and you're right, by golly. If that's not the right way, what is the right way to wage war in the Lord's army? Paul's going to write in 2 Corinthians, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought in order to make it obedient to Christ. Later in 2 Timothy, he's going to write, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, 
Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Understand something this morning. You and I are not called to deny ourselves so that we can take up our cross and beat somebody else over the head with it. It's not the way the Lord's army functions. It's not the battle plan. We're called to deny ourselves because our way of doing things is different than God's way. And we've got to change our way of thinking. We absolutely do. We are not in an army of one. We're in an army for one. And that changes the way we do things. Our way, it's often based on getting back at somebody because they've defended our way of doing things. They've offended our sensibilities. They've trampled on our rights. There's a lot of us in that, isn't there? How dare they do that? It's just not right for that to happen. So let me tell you a little secret this morning that we all intellectually know, but perhaps we should spend some time meditating on. When you and I get those vengeful desires, when we let our anger build up, we want to strike back at somebody, it's a sign to us that we've forgotten to deny ourselves. We've forgotten how to deny ourselves. And we've become tempted to pick up our cross and beat somebody over the head with it. And it's time to recognize that that's not God's way. On the contrary, God's way of making war is to help us understand. And what does he want us to understand? We're not supposed to be out to get even. We're not supposed to be out to destroy those who do wrong things against us. We're not supposed to be out to fight a war the way the world fights a war. Because we're not supposed to hate those people. On the contrary, they're not the enemy at all. They're the objective. Those people that you would strike out against, they're the objective. We've got to change our thinking on that. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. And you know what? A battle plan like that, that just will never make sense to those that don't belong to Jesus. Not the way this world thinks. Because those people don't understand the concept. They don't understand that God is calling us to deny those instincts, to deny ourselves. You know, the people of the world, if you hurt them, they'll want to hurt you back. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. The people of the world, if you hurt them, they want to do something mean to you. But Jesus says, blessed are you when, those, when they curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. You don't fight the way that the world fights. And we have got to understand that. We've got to recognize that because too often we kind of fall into the trap of this world and we think that, you know, our enemy is uh, 
any number of things. But let me tell you this morning, our enemy is not Al-Qaeda, it's not ISIS, it's not the Russians or the Chinese, uh, it's not the atheist, it's not the person who flaunts their sinful lifestyle, it's not the one and cuts you off and then throws some obscene gesture at you. These are not the enemies. The enemy is Satan. And if we beat him, not only do we win the war, but we get to claim all the benefits and the impact of all the eternal benefits. We can't lose. The only way for us to beat him, the only way to follow God's battle plan to fight back against Satan and his power is to rob him of his power. The only way for us to beat him is to take his captives away from him, to leave him without an army of his own. And so we have to turn the hearts of those around us and bring them to our side. We bring those people who are not our enemies, but the objective to Christ. We share the word with them. We bring them to the truth. We show them to the life. And we help them on the way of the path of salvation. That is our war. And we are called to war. This is the primary challenge for us as soldiers in Christ. And make no mistake about it, it's a big job. It's a tremendous job. And it can be overwhelming. And sometimes it could feel like we're in this fight alone. Sometimes it seems really easy to say, you know what, no one else is running to pick up the, the, uh, the rifles and, and jump into this fight, fight with me, so maybe it's just as easy I could sit this one out. When that feeling arises, as soldiers in the Lord's army, more than ever, we've got to hold on to our faith in God. We've got to let go of ourselves and grab God. We have got to recognize that it is the army for one. The one. Let that be your defense. Your faith in God. Because it is in the faithfulness of each one of us that God's going to win this battle. It is in our faith that we truly are utilized as the soldiers that we're supposed to be. John Wesley once said, Give me a hundred men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I'll shake the whole world for Christ. Look around this auditorium this morning. How many people do we have here? How much shaking can we do in this world for Christ if we really buy into the idea of being his soldiers? It doesn't, uh, doesn't take much and it doesn't take many, but it does take someone who's dedicated to being faithful, even in, no, especially in the face of persecution, danger, and death. The Lord's army is recruiting. Make no mistake about it. And also understand this. If you sign up or if you've signed up, there is every expectation that you will be in the line of fire. There is no excuse to think anything else. It's what we're called for. It's what we signed up for. You can count on it. This morning, perhaps it's been some time since you've taken that responsibility as a soldier in the Lord's army seriously. Maybe you've been guilty of being in the Secret Service. Maybe you've uh, been AWOL. Maybe you've taken some time and uh, 
disappeared for a little bit. God's calling you back. Maybe this morning you just need some encouragement to join the fight. Maybe this morning you're thinking of someone who is in that fight with us, who's not here right now. Somebody, maybe you're thinking of somebody who should be in that fight with us and has never been properly introduced, maybe never been recruited. There is no secret service. Perhaps you've never signed up for the Lord's Army. We can take care of that right here this morning. Whatever you may think this morning, wherever you may be, I want you for a second to forget about your Uncle Sam and to think about your Heavenly Father. God wants you and you and you to join his army and to join the fight. There are going to be some elders down here. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to take this opportunity this morning. If you need to join the Lord's fight or if we can do anything for you, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing.